excited about this new series we're starting today, Angels, Demons, and Dead People. It's not very often you get up to talk about anything you want to talk about from the Word of the Lord, and you get to say angels, demons, and dead people in one sentence. It's not even a sentence, it's like a phrase with an and in it, right? Uh, it's not very often you can do that. I've been real excited about this series, and mainly because what I want to do, and the reason why I want to do this series is to help correct some wrong theology that many people carry around with them. Uh, it's not to be a jerk about it, it's to help us to understand who God is and what He's done for us rightly, so we might worship Him rightly for who He is. And so I hope you'll uh, enjoy this series as much as I am enjoying working on it. In fact, I've been a little stressed out about it, if I'm going to be honest, because, man, how in the world do you go from angels to making Jesus? the hero every week, you know what I mean, or demons and Jesus the hero. But look, the Word of God is good, and it's an easy transition in those things. Uh, we're going to look at angels this week, demons the next week, and we're going to talk about dead people for the two weeks after that. Uh, we're going to look at hell, look at heaven, and so I want you to be prepared for that. Please do invite your friends. It's in our culture all over the place where the supernatural has become central to what people are talking about, what they are enjoying. It's all over our movies, our TV shows, uh, as well as the games that people play, uh, the things that they do in their off time. In fact, a lot of those things that we used to see in, in the world around us is now coming back in the super spiritual realm we are kind of participating in in our culture right now. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make everything over this series do my best to keep your attention, but you're going to have to understand this is going to be more of a systematic theological way of doing things. So usually what I'll do is I'll take one text and we'll unpack that one text for the most part during our time together. Uh, we are going to have a primary text every week, but because what we're doing is giving you basically a survey over one particular topic uh, each week, we're going to have to cover a lot more things. So let me just encourage you, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and while you're turning there, let me say this. I seriously doubt, this is not a challenge, this is just a piece of advice. I seriously doubt you can keep up with me today with your notes for writing down everything. So don't worry about it. In your bulletin that you received on the way in, you have a piece of paper there with my phone number on it, my cell phone. Text me, send me your email address, tell me you want my notes. I'll give you all these notes so you don't have to try to keep up. Just, just take it in today. And then if you want those things, reach out, and I'll be glad to send them to you in a text or in an email, or you can pick them up in the office if you prefer. Uh, let me pray for us. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 to kick it off. Leave your Bibles open the whole time. We will come back to this part of Scripture at the end as well, and we'll be all over the map in between. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, I thank you for the goodness you've shown us by loving us so much that you would give us your one and only son, Jesus. That he would not just be our brother, and he would not just be our king, but he would be our savior. He would save us out of our enslavement to sin. He would purchase us with his own sacrifice on the cross, taking the debt, taking the sin, taking the wrath that we deserve so we might receive the life that only he deserves, eternal life with you. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus. Help us to honor him and make much of him today through your word. And change us, please, Lord, in the process that we might look more like him as we leave. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit 
salvation. What he's saying is the angels are not as important as the Savior. That's what he's saying. He didn't say to the angels, you're at my right hand on the throne. He said to the Savior, his son, Jesus, who died in our place on the cross so that we might be united with God through the work that he did on the cross. Even though we're rebels, even though we are sinners, even though we are not able to earn our way, Jesus earned the way for us on the cross. And yet, here we are studying about angels today because whether we like to think so or not, oftentimes we can err on one of two extremes. Either we look too much into and we study too much into and we might begin to worship things such as angels or we don't think it's important at all and we kind of blow it off. And so I want to kind of work through this topic today in a way of bringing to you some misconceptions that many people believe and then we're going to just work through what angels are, what they do, and what they don't do through our time together. And ultimately, we'll get back all the way around to how this fits into the good news about Jesus. And so this is just a systematic survey of these things. Let me just start off by saying this. Our first misconception that I want to write today is that a lot of people believe this. They believe that angels are human beings who have died. Now, this is somewhat from an old Christmas movie. It's just another example, right? Where every time you hear a bell, an angel gets its wings, right? We don't even know if all angels have wings. We don't know that. We know some do. Uh, but we also know for sure that angels are human beings who have died. That's a false statement. That's a misconception. Nehemiah 9.6 says this, You are the Lord, talking to God, obviously. You alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. That's the angels. With all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Also, Psalm 148, 1 through 5, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens, let him let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. These angels were created to be angels. People are created to be people. We do not have some kind of metamorphosis that goes on when we die and we become angels. Angels were created somewhere in the beginning time frame and have been in the work of the Lord if they are not fallen angels. And, and are, have always been angels. There's not at one point in time where any of them were humans, and a human will never become an angel. We are humans. We'll see more about this later on. Uh, John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, one of the first systematic theologies out there after the Reformation, he describes, uh, gives a definition for angels. I think it's a very good one. He says, in Scripture, then, we uniformly read that angels are heavenly spirits whose obedience and ministry God employs to execute all the purposes which he has decreed, and hence their name as being a kind of intermediate messengers to manifest his will to men. In other words, he's saying their name means messenger. We're going to see that in just a second. So he's saying that that's exactly what they are. They are workers of God. Their obedience, their willingness to serve, the ministry that God uses them is all to execute God's will to communicate something about himself or to follow through on something he has communicated. Let me back this up a little bit and say it like this. 
The term angel is found over 275 times in the Bible. Now, in the Hebrew, that word is malach, and in Greek, that word is angelon, okay? That, those are complicated little words. Those words simply mean messenger, simply mean messenger or God's messenger. In fact, the same words are used over a hundred additional times and translated as simply messenger in your English translations. That's because they're talking about David sent some messengers over to this place. Okay, but when it's talking about messengers from God, it's translated as angels. In the Bible, angels are also referred to as sons of God, like lower capital, and not capital, but lowercase sons, sons of God, holy ones, spirits, watchers, thrones, dominions, principalities, and authorities. You may think the last few sound crazy, so let me read Colossians 1, 15 through 16. He is, Jesus is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And those terms, almost all commentators agree, are talking about angelic beings, whether fallen or not. There's two categories for angels, those who are holy, elect angels, and those who have fallen out of God's grace by sinning against him. Okay, so here we see that that includes dominions, thrones, principalities, and authorities, as well as holy ones, spirits, watchers, sons of God, messenger. These are all words used in the scripture for angels. But the truth here we're trying to get across is that angels are not humans with wings. It's not how it is. Second misconception a lot of people have, you might laugh at this one, the second misconception is that angels are chubby babies with wings. That's not true. Sorry to burst your bubble. In fact, angels are generally invisible. Right? How many people are here, you don't have to say, but if you've ever seen an angel, come talk to me afterwards. Most of us have never seen anything, we'll never see anything like that in this part of life here before we go to be with the Lord. Angels are generally invisible. In fact, one of my favorite stories I laugh about all the time in the Old Testament is Balaam with his donkey, remember? Balaam is trying to get to a place to betray God, and on his way there, his donkey can see what Balaam cannot. His donkey's been given eyes to see this angel standing before him with a sword that's about to destroy Balaam and the donkey. And so the donkey keeps veering off one way, veering off the other. And Balaam, the, the owner, keeps getting more mad and more mad and more mad. So finally, he is basically really mad because Balaam's donkey just stops when the, when the, when the walls get closer in and they, through these rocks, there's nowhere to go. And the, the donkey just sits down and he basically starts yelling at his donkey. And then his donkey does something that I laugh at every time he begins to talk to him, right? He's like, you don't understand, I'm trying to save your life, right? And then God reveals to Balaam's eyes what the donkey sees, and it's an angel with a sword ready to, to just take him out of existence, right? Really funny, the donkey talks to you. That's how I can always say that no matter how poorly I feel like it's going to be, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. 
The truth is, though, that the donkey saw something that was invisible to Balaam until God opened his eyes to it. Angels sometimes appear in the form similar to men. By the way, there's nowhere in Scripture where we see an angel that is described as looking feminine. We just don't see it. Now, we do know that they don't marry, according to what Jesus says, they, they don't marry one another, but we don't see anywhere in Scripture where there's a, an angel described as looking feminine. It's always a masculine description. Uh, in fact, if you went to Genesis chapter 18, you'd see the time where, um, this is a really neat part, right? God shows up with two messengers or angels with him on Abraham's doorstep, and he goes there, and Abraham makes a big feast for them and, and hangs out with them, and it's God in a form of a person, which is what some commentators would call theophany. That means God showing himself as a man, which a lot of people, therefore, would also say that is a Christophany, saying that it's the Son of God pre-incarnate showing up, okay? He's showing up. He's got two angels with him. Later on, the two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they are seen as men there because the other men try to have their way with them, and they destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Remember that? But they are seen as men just walking along the way, Sometimes they also appear, though not to just seem like men, but to shine forth in brilliant light as though the glory of the Lord shines through them or from them. They are not cute babies, but powerful beings. Matthew 28, 1 through 3. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead and they run to the tomb to like finish up what they're doing to get the body ready for, for burial, right? After the weekend, basically. Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The stone that took several soldiers to put into place, and when the angel came into that area, it created an earthquake upon his arrival. That is huge. And then it says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So these are not chubby babies with wings. Okay, these little cherubs that you see, you know. These angels are not popping people with little hearts, making them love each other. Right? This is not what we see in culture for angels. But biblically, we see some pretty important things. Another misconception is that angels are sweet creatures who sing and play harps. Watch out now. I'm going to mess you up here. There's no biblical evidence that any angels carry around harps or would even play them. I know. Crazy, isn't it? Taking a step further. Get ready. There's actually no biblical evidence, biblical evidence that angels sing. You think I'm a liar. You're going to go look this up when you go home. Okay, but let me just give you a sample. In Luke 2, where Jesus arrives as a baby, and the shepherds are out in the fields, and the angels appear to them. You think they sing, don't you? Because the angel talks to the shepherd, and then the heavenly host opens up. This is what it says. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Saying, not singing. We'll hit some more in a few minutes when we get down there. 
Not only do they not necessarily sing, not saying they don't, they can, they probably do, but we don't see any evidence that they're doing that in Scripture. We definitely don't see any evidence of playing harps, although harps are beautiful. They are often depicted as warriors instead of sweet creatures who sing and play harps. 2 Kings, Kings 6.17, you have Elisha, and he's stepping out, and there's all these warriors coming toward them, and there's going to be this battle, and this young guy with Elisha says, we're going to get killed. But Elisha says to the Lord, please open his eyes, O Lord, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Warriors, right? Warriors, not chubby babies playing harps on clouds. There are other classifications of heavenly beings that may or may not be classified as angels. We don't know. They're just heavenly beings by different names. Well, we usually like to think of them as angels, but we're not really sure. They're not called messengers. They're called other things like the cherubim, where we get the word cherub. They're actually the plural, just so you're right on this, is not cherubs. But cherubim, that's the Hebrew way to make it plural. Genesis 3.24, it's not a cute baby there either. When Adam and Eve have sinned against God and they are cast out of the garden, it says, he drove out the man, God did, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So he put those angels as guards, those creatures as guards, to make sure that man couldn't get back into the tree of life and live forever as one who is a sinner. We also see in Exodus 25, 18 through 22, we see God declaring to his people how to create the temple, how to create the things he's going to be using to speak to his people. And he does so, not the temple, even the tabernacle, where he's got the Ark of the Covenant, and he's describing how to make that. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the seat of mercy, the mercy seat, where God will meet with his people. Nobody gets in there but the, in the Holy of Holies, but the one chosen by God to, make, um, to, 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 to bring the sacrifice before him for the people. And Moses is going to speak to him there. That's where God's going to speak out to him from within this place. Here's what he says. You shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat, make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Seems like the cherubim are the elite guard. Not because God needs guarding, but because that shows how great he is that he has an elite guard of heavenly beings right? Not only the cherubim, we also have the seraphim. Ever heard that word? Isaiah 6. Man, I love Isaiah 6. I'm going to turn there right now instead of just reading it out of my notes. Isaiah 6. You go back and read this later. I'm going to read it out loud to you. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, Isaiah says, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
He's so grandiose that just the bottom part of his robe fills up the temple. It says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. In other words, the angel is saying by covering his face, he's not worthy to look upon God. Even though he's a perfect being, not sinful, morally right and good, he's saying, I'm not worthy to look upon God, the king. And then he covers his feet with two more, saying that I am unclean before him. Now, this is a perfect being, and he's saying that in the presence of God the Almighty, I am unclean. Gives us some understanding a little bit of how awesome God is. And here the angel is covering his feet, covering his eyes, and with the other two wings, he is covering his face. With the other two wings, he is flying. Now, listen to this. And one called to the other, the seraphim, one to another, and said, not seeing, said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So in other words, when the angels spoke one to another, the foundations of the temple shook. Powerful, glorious beings who shudder in the presence of a glorious God who deserves all the glory. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is one more of the heavenly beings, the seraphim. Also, Revelation 4, this is pretty awesome. If you have not uh, read this passage, write this one down. Revelation 4, verse 4 through 8, we're going to hit today. Read all of chapter 4 to get a picture of the throne room of God as they worship. John's vision of what it will be like to be around the throne of God. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there were, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. All around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. You picturing this? Okay, so throne of God, surrounded by 24 thrones, with 24 elders on them, and inside of that, around God's throne, are four living creatures with eyes all over their front and all over their back. You can't sneak up on those guys. That's the elite of the elite guard. Got it? Not because God needs guarding, but to prove how majestic and important he is. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, not sing, remember, say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's their job. Stand at the throne and proclaim that he is holy, holy, holy. The trihagion, that he is the utmost holy. 
who always was and is and is to come, who forever will be. This, brothers and sisters, is not some cutesy little thing playing a harp and singing chubby baby with wings. This conception number four. Get ready for some toe stepping. You ready? This conception number four is that everyone has a guardian angel. Hang with me here. Don't write me off yet. Psalm 91, 11 through 12. Is, I'm going to read you all the verses, first of all, where people get this idea, and then I'm going to show you why it may not be true. Okay? Psalm 91, 11 through 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Or how about when Peter is thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, and while he's in there, an angel comes to him and brings him out of the jail, and then he goes back to where his friends are who have been praying for him relentlessly. And when he gets there, he knocks on the door, and this is what happens. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. That makes me laugh. He's here, he's here, we let him in, you know, like, let him in. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. So it looks like he has an angel guarding him, watching over him, right? Or Matthew 18, 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. In verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, on the surface, you say, it looks like there's a guardian angel there. Now, yes, angels are meant to minister to us, if God so wills, to protect us from even damaging our feet if he wants to. But there is no direct statement that each of us has a guardian angel. It's not like the old TV shows where you've got the devil on one side and the angel on the other and you're paired off against each other whispering into your ear trying to convince you what to do. First of all, angel's huge, like fearsome. Every time an angel shows up anywhere in scripture, like in a true form of angel, like showing himself off, people hit the floor and they worship or they are in fear because you know that's true because they say, do not fear, right? Every time they show up. But there is not within this a statement that everybody has a guardian angel. Peter might have had a guardian angel for a moment. He might have had him all the time. It seems like, though, when you look at Scripture and you go to places like Revelation, you go to places like Ezekiel, there are myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of angels, innumerable numbers of angels, Revelation seems to indicate, which means that there are probably multiple angels all the time watching out for us as the church. In fact, that same reformer I mentioned earlier says, the interpretation given to this passage by some commentators, as if God assigned to each believer his own angel, does not rest on solid grounds. 
For the words of Christ do not mean that a single angel is continually occupied with this or the other person, and such an idea is inconsistent with the whole doctrine of Scripture, which declares that the angels encamp around the godly, and that not one angel only, but many, have been commissioned to guard every one of the faithful. Away then with the fanciful notion of a good and evil angel, and let us rest satisfied with holding that the care of the whole church is committed to angels, to assist each member as his necessities shall require. That's part of their job, totally, for all of them. So do you have guardian angels? Yes. Do you have a guardian angel that's like your buddy? I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. So be aware when you talk about it, that we speak about it rightly. So let me summarize what angels do. You ready for that? Not as energetic right now. You ready for that? Okay. First of all, angels continually praise and glorify God. Continually. Listen to this example in Luke 15, 10. Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who who repents. Man, when was the last time that you were filled with joy because one sinner repented of their sin and turned to Jesus? And he's saying that the angels are filled with joy when one sinner repents. Man, maybe we don't have things in right order when we don't get excited about God changing lives in that way and saving people. Something's not wrong with him, not wrong with the situation, it's wrong with our heart. The angels rejoice when one sinner repents. And they praise and glorify God in it. Secondly, they reveal and communicate God's messages to humans. We know that. That's what they're called messengers. Over and over and over again, they do that all throughout the scriptures. They also minister to believers, like we saw in Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Get it? They're there to, they're there to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's us, brothers and sisters. They are created to serve the Father and to serve us, sent out to do so by the Father. They also execute judgment on the enemies of God. Now watch out. It's easy to think everybody else is an enemy of God. Not us. In fact, 2 Kings 19.35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. You hear that? 185,000 in one night. How about Daniel 10, 13? This is an angel talking to Daniel, and he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king's of Persia. So there are demons trying to stop this angel from doing what Daniel's been praying for, and he was held up in battle to get through to do for Daniel what he was asking for from the Lord. So God sent the archangel Michael over to whip some rear end, battling against the forces that are anti-God. By the way, they win. How about Acts 12, 21 through 
23 get a little more personal for people. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's pretty scary stuff. Take even this, I, I didn't even put this one in here to read, but at one point Israel is disobeying God and he sends his angels to bring a stricken them with disease and like 70,000 people die. And before the angel kills them all, God stops them as they've turned back to him. Angels execute judgment on the enemies of God. As a side note, let me give you this. First of all, let me say, they will also be involved in the second coming. You, you read Revelation, you can see that. They're going to be coming back as an army. Jesus leading them. Read Revelation 19. You can't miss it. Angels will be there in the presence, in the battle. In the battle that's already been won. The victory has been won, but the final battle to end all the skirmishes. A little side note, though, is that sometimes in the Old Testament, there's this thing I mentioned earlier called a Christophany. That happens. Some people believe that's true, some people don't, and it's up for debate. But anytime you see in the scriptures, especially in the Hebrew, where it says, um, the article is there, it says, the angel of the Lord, not just an angel of the Lord. It says the, the word is the there. Um, often that is talking about God himself, probably the Son acting on behalf of the Father. That's why it's called a messenger still, but the messenger of the Lord. Let me give you a couple examples. And you know it's still God because he refers to himself as God. Let me give you just one example. A couple of them that I, I, I could use. Exodus 3, 2 through 6, where the angel of the Lord appeared to, to Moses in the burning bush. But let me give you this one. Genesis 22. But the angel of the Lord called to Abram from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. That's the angel of the Lord, right? Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay? That confuses things even more, doesn't it? So you have to tell by the context. Sometimes it says the angel of the Lord. It might be talking about a pre-incarnate Christ messaging there, showing up in person. Okay, go back. Exodus 3, I'll just hit it. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. The angel of the Lord. All this stuff angels can do, mighty huge warriors, executors of judgment, ministering to the people. The one thing they can't do, save your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. So the message today is angels are a beautiful gift from the Lord, used to protect us, bring us truth, to fight on our behalf, to show up when we don't even know it's happening because they're invisible, but we should not worship them. 
or take too much time to spend in seeking them out. Instead, we should pursue the one who pursued us so much so that he would step out of eternity and come become one of us so that he could die in our place on the cross so he could bring us into his family. The angels didn't do that for you or me, but Jesus did. The warning is clear, Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. In other words, it's really easy for us to get caught up in this fantastic world around us. That's why everybody and their mama is watching Netflix something about demons or angels or supernatural, zombies, anything. And I can get sucked into some of that stuff too. It's interesting. It's supernatural ideas, and that's true. But there's nothing more powerful and supernatural than God himself becoming one of us so that he could die for us on the cross taking all the wrath we deserve upon himself on that cross and saying, it is finished. So there's nothing more that needs to be done. And when he died, he won every victory needed to be won. He has defeated the enemy so that now when he rises up in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell, that he is risen, resurrected, dead, now alive. That is supernatural. That is power. No one has power over death except God himself, and the Son has proven that. So don't worship angels, worship the King. And angels are great, but they're not the greatest, that's Jesus. So let our hearts be set on him. Let us not pursue things to touch and taste the supernatural and forget that we've already received everything supernatural possible in Jesus. That everything, all the riches, all the glories are found in him. In fact, brothers and sisters, The scriptures are really clear when it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? One day we will sit in judgment over them when they fall from the Lord as his brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the king. That means we shouldn't be giving them too much prestige. Let Jesus be the one we lift up, right? 1 Timothy 2 Paul says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And it doesn't say it's an angel. It says the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, he says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He said, I didn't come to preach angels. I came to preach Jesus. He says it in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where I started with you guys a year ago, A year ago when I first got here, for I decided to know nothing among you, Paul said, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not angels, not demons, and definitely not about dead people. I preach Jesus Christ, the live one, the eternal one, who's defeated death. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. Let us not worship angels. Let us not worship anything else. You may say, I don't worship that stuff. If you find that your affections are being drawn out to those things that distract you from the glory you can find in the Lord, then we are worshiping them. 
If you find your heart is tuned in to pretend things we watch on TV or to, to touch things that, that puff up the things around us, you say, if I'm more interested in somebody telling me the story and I, and I revel in a story where a car accident happened but I was saved from death by an angel, I must have moved that car out of the way. Or, or, or maybe that, that I was on my deathbed and, and the angels pulled me back into that place. If you're more interested in that than you are that a Savior came out of heaven and died for you on the cross and rose again so he could bring you in to be his brother and sister forever to be with him in glory, then we have missed the point and we are worshiping something other than the true God. That is just the truth of the matter. That sounds harsh, but that's what worship is. Whatever your heart desires, whatever draws you in the most, that's what we worship. So let us, again, brothers, let's say it again, sisters, let us worship the king and not his messengers. Let us put our hope, not in angels, but in the only one who can save us, and that is Jesus. Let us not pray to or seek out angels, Let's pray to the one and seek out the one, the only one who rules over all the angels and has all the power over death and hell and even over the problems in our life right now. The King, Jesus. Look with me back in Hebrews 1. We're going to finish here. I'm going to read a couple of excerpts out of Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. I want you to follow along with me as we finish up. Verses, chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1. Please look. It'll be on the screens. Look in your Bibles. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jump over and see chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedient received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Now, Verse 5, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, that's Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything... In subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, the last bit. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. You see, that's us. He doesn't help the angels. When they fall, they're fallen. But we who fall and who are rebels who sin against him, he helps us brothers and sisters. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to be the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When you are suffering, don't pray for God's angels to come and save you. Pray for God himself to show up. His Holy Spirit is more powerful than any angel. Pray to the king. He's already sent his son. And if you believe in his son, he'll fill you with his spirit. And there is no more power than the power of God that rests within you by his spirit. It's not yours, it's his. But you don't need an angel. He may use angels, just like you don't need a doctor, but he may use doctors. He is the healer. He is the savior. You need him. We need him. So today, if you've never put your hope and faith in that one who gave his life for you, today is the day to give your life to him. And it is a good God who would give himself so you can be brought into his family. I'm going to pray for you now. And we're going to sing one more song. I'll be standing down here. And if you need someone to pray with you, I'll pray with you. If you need somebody to talk to you afterwards, I'll talk to you. I'll be here until everybody's gone. But don't think you've got to come to me to get to Jesus. The only intermediary we have between us and God is Jesus the Son, who's already already pressing on you today by the Holy Spirit. And if this is the first time you've ever heard this truth and it's resonated and you are now wanting that, you call out to him to save you. Man, he wouldn't put that in your heart unless he wanted you to repent. And if this is the 10 millionth time you've heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus, today is the day to repent again of whatever sin you've been entangled in and turn back to the Lord and let him wash him away as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we need you. We see that you use angels. We see that you use many things in our life, Lord, but we don't need those. We need you. So if you choose to use other beings, other people even in our lives, we will praise you. But we know you alone are the one who saves. Would you give us hope in you? Would you turn our hearts away from things that distract us from you? And would you set our hearts on you once again? Set our face toward Christ Jesus, your son, who gave himself for us on the cross, that he might be lifted up, that we might find all the joy and desire and fulfillment we could ever find in him, so that you might receive all the glory and we might find all the joy. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.